Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Logan campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Uh, now they say that uh, a picture tells a thousand words or that every story or every picture has a story to tell. And uh, on the screen behind me, there's, there's going to be a picture that's going to pop up. Now, uh, yes, I'm looking quite uh, debonair in, in that photo. And uh, this was actually a photo that was taken on the day that I got to marry my best friend, Emma. And uh, there is a lot going on behind this story. And despite the fact that I might seem cool, calm and collected with a big smile on my face, that was not the truth. Yes, I was happy because I was getting married to Emma, but in reality, if you're a groom, ever been a groom that's standing there waiting for your bride to arrive, you will know that there is panic that's about to set in. More than that, you'll also know that not everything at a wedding goes according to plan, right? So in the lead up to this photo, uh, we had, obviously, we, we got married in the midst of COVID season, so there was constant changes happening there. Uh, but on this day, we'd been predicted that the wedding uh, was going to be potentially rained out, and that was a problem because our wedding was outside, and there was torrential rain and thunderstorms predicted, which thankfully held off until the reception. But the problem was that it meant that the groomsmen and I, who were setting everything up that afternoon, had to wait until the last minute to know that it was going to go ahead. And uh, one of the things in hindsight that we realized was that one of the bunch of flowers that we had used in the setup uh, still had a scrunchie left on it, you know, because men, apparently our attention to detail is not great. And uh, it wouldn't necessarily have been a problem except for this particular bunch of flowers that had the scrunchie on it was on our registry table, uh, which is where we sign our marriage certificate. So that scrunchie was actually, or is now forever immortalized in our wedding photos. Uh, the other thing that you need to realize that uh, in that haste was the fact that we were still getting ready as our guests arrived, and also our photographer was arriving just as we were getting out of the shower. Now, that's not some candid photos that you want. This photo was taken when Emma had arri- well, hadn't arrived yet, and this was 20 minutes after she was due to arrive. Now, I know that you're all sitting there going, yeah, but it's tradition for a bride to arrive late to a wedding. I get that, 20 minutes, maybe. But if you know Emma, you know that she actually likes to arrive to things on time, if not before. Now, thankfully, she did turn up. Yes, thank you for the cheer. (laughs) The, The problem was, it was actually another 30 minutes after that. So for anyone playing along at home, she was 50 minutes late to our wedding. Now, we've been married for for six months now, and uh, congratulations, you've already been used in one of my sermon illustrations, so lucky you. And uh, there was a lot of other things that didn't go according to plan on that day, but uh, like I said, I'm so grateful that I got the opportunity to marry my best friend in, in Emma, and at that moment, we made sure that in every decision that we made moving forward, that we were going to put Jesus in the center of our picture. But what Emma probably didn't realize, and what I didn't realize until I sat down to prepare for this sermon, was even though this was supposed to be an incredibly happy day, in my heart of hearts, I knew that Emma was going to be arriving and she was going to turn up. But for every minute that she was late, see, there was no mobile reception where we were, so I had no idea what was going on. And as it turned out, she'd actually forgot her bridal bouquet. And uh, that's another story in itself. 
But in those moments with not knowing where she was or what was happening, there was a whole bunch of doubt and uncertainty that was being created in my heart. And for a lot of us, that's actually the reality of a lot of the circumstances that we find ourselves in life. There are going to be times, whether we like to admit it or not, that we're going to experience doubts and uncertainties. And especially in the season that we find ourselves in right now. You see, over the last few weeks, we've been looking through this Jesus in the Picture series. And it's been about a number of interactions that Jesus has had with different characters along the way. And whether it's been through anxiety, through situations of shame or hopelessness or loneliness, we've been looking at how Jesus entered their picture and how in those times he's entered ours as well. Now this morning we're going to take a look at another one of these stories and this, was, uh, this interaction is about a man who came to Jesus to ask some serious questions and in the middle of everything, in the middle of that conversation, Jesus was completely turning his assumptions, his worldview, everything that he'd come to know and understand upside down. And I think that this is a story that will connect with many of us, especially over this last craziness of the 18 months that's been going on and still seems to be going on with no end. And I think in our moments of doubt and uncertainty in the midst of all of this, we have struggled to see where Jesus is. This, uh, along with uh, the, these illustrations, we've seen some famous artworks that have gone along with them. And this particular image was painted by an artist by the name of John Lafarge. Probably didn't pronounce that all right, but that's okay. And uh, this is entitled, The Visit of Nicodemus to Christ. And we find this story in John chapter 3. Now the story starts out that, that Nicodemus, who came to visit Christ, he was actually an incredibly well-educated man. And uh, he was a member of the Sanhedrin, and he was a Pharisee. Now to understand this, as part of the ruling council of the Sanhedrin, Nicodemus himself was one of 70 specifically and specially selected people to ensure uh, that all the right religious decisions were being made at the time. And they were also actually responsible for, for civil rule under the Roman occupation. The only thing that the Sanhedrin actually couldn't do or wasn't within their power was to put people to death. And this is significant because it was the Sanhedrin who would later go and put Jesus before the Romans and Pontius Pilate before he was crucified. That's how significant this story with Nicodemus is. See, we don't know why Nicodemus actually went to Jesus at night as, as we read through the next, couple, uh, the next verse. But many scholars have said that it's probably because he went at night to avoid the scandal or, or the potential uh, scandal that would come with such a prolific member of society going to visit Jesus. Others have said maybe that it was because Nicodemus was timid or shy. But what all the scholars do agree on is the fact that Nicodemus wanted an uninterrupted audience with Jesus so that he could have the freedom to ask the questions that he wanted to answer, wanted answered. But what was interesting as I read through this passage and was, and was preparing was I was reminded that the author who wrote this, which is John, in not only this gospel but some of the other books that he writes as well, a lot of his writings is actually incredibly steeped in a lot of symbolism. And whilst Nicodemus visiting Jesus at night might, be, might seem like a little bit of a throwaway statement, what John is, is actually getting at here is the potential that he's referring to Nicodemus' spiritual state. And when John writes about darkness, he refers to it as the realm of evil, untruth, and unbelief. 
you see, it's interesting that John actually only writes about one other character in the gospel that did anything at night. And that was Judas Iscariot on the night that he betrayed Jesus. See, Nicodemus does actually acknowledge Jesus, mostly through courtesy, through the title of rabbi or teacher, which was a common name that Jesus was given. But it's obvious that he doesn't see Jesus for who he really is. Nicodemus doesn't go past the fact of seeing him as a teacher with the stamp of God upon him, not as the true Messiah. You see, when Jesus replies to Nicodemus' instant statement in verse 3, now we, we don't know if there was any other small talk that, that happened, but what is recorded is when Jesus responds and says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. What Jesus has done is right from the outset of what's written in this conversation is Jesus has shattered the racial identity assumption that Nicodemus had as a Jew. See, as a Jew, they believed that they were automatically given a place by birthright into God's kingdom. And it was actually widely taught that uh, by some rabbis that Abraham himself though that's who the Jews descended from, would actually stand at the gates of hell itself just to make sure that some of the descendants didn't accidentally just wander in there. It seems pretty crazy. But see, right from the outset, Jesus' teaching was rocking Nicodemus right to the very core. And he suddenly had to start to realize that he was being challenged on his identity and everything that he had dedicated his life to come to learn and to understand. You see, the Jewish people at the time were not were actually looking for the triumphant Messiah that they thought was written in the Scriptures, and not the man that was Jesus sitting before him. And they weren't looking for an alternative. They thought they had it made. And I don't know about you, but can you imagine if, if in that single conversation, you're sitting there and you've dedicated your life to learning a skill set, to essentially becoming the top of your game and being the best, being a master of your craft, and in a single conversation, someone says to you, that's wrong. See, Jesus wasn't saying that's wrong. He was saying, I need to flip what you're thinking on its head. And see, this response that Jesus is saying, that you need to come unto a new understanding It was actually just something that required a different response. And it was something that requires a deeper response. And we read the story in verses 4 to 15. And I'm just going to read this through for you. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. That's probably a pretty legitimate question, right? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and, and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going, and so it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you, and do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know 
and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. See, what what Jesus is actually saying, there's a lot to unpack in that. But what Jesus is, is saying and what he's challenging Nicodemus on was the popular Jewish nation on how they were to be saved. Remember that birthright? And Jesus is kind of sitting there going, hey, you are a teacher. You've understood the scriptures, but, mate, you've missed it. And I wonder if sometimes when we're reading the scriptures too, we miss some of the things that God's actually trying to tell us. See, Jesus continues to challenge this assumption, and this is part two of the assumption. When he goes on, and in verse John 3.16, which is possibly the most well-known verse of scripture ever, Uh, he says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. What's actually really important is verse 17 as well, to kind of get to the crux of what Jesus is talking about in this assumption. And it says, For God did not send his Son into into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now, you would have noticed the emphasis on the world, right? And this was, the assu- this was the challenge to the assumption, because in Jewish belief, they thought that the only people that could be saved were the Jews. They, they didn't give any thought to the fact that the rest of the world could be saved as well. And, and see, what Jesus is, is saying in this moment is, is revealing the heart of God the Father in sending God the Son, who was sitting right in front of him. And this was Jesus who brought redemption to rescue people, to bring hope, to bring healing to the world through him. Again, it wasn't just for the Jews. He was saying this is something for everyone, then and now, for you and for me. What Jesus was saying to Nicodemus is there is absolutely nothing you can do to make you, yourself good enough for me to enter your picture. He wants to enter your picture and be at the center of it because he died for you. Now, remember that that reference earlier uh, that I spoke about in Scripture uh, that John said about darkness and the symbolism that was was within that. And it could have been said that Nicodemus uh, is a man of darkness and Jesus is the man of light. And we continue looking at this in verse 19 to 21. And it says, this is the verdict, Jesus says this. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been through God. Now, just at this point in time, I just want to stop because I think it's important to distinguish the difference between doubt and unbelief because they are actually two very, very different things. And and, and as I wrestled through how to to kind of put this together for the message this morning, I found this really helpful quote from Henry Drummond, and it says, Christ never failed to distinguish between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is can't believe 
Unbelief is won't believe. Doubt is honesty. Unbelief is obstinacy. Doubt is looking for light. Unbelief is content with darkness. You see, when, when Jesus stepped into Nicodemus' picture, Jesus was bringing with it new ideas and new thoughts and challenging all of these assumptions that, that he'd already kn- knew. But Nicodemus actually knew that something was different. And at that point, he had to make a decision to step into the light to ask the questions. And, and even though those questions may have led to doubts, it then continues into intrigue and, and to gain a further understanding of what Jesus was saying. And see, what I'm saying is, is that we can doubt because that's the reality of life. But the choice is that we need to step into the light, not staying in the midst of our doubt and not allowing ourselves to be content and destroyed by the darkness of unbelief. And, and perhaps you're going through a season right now where, where this is actually your reality, where there's, you're having moments of, of doubts and uncertainties and you're wanting answers. And you find yourself maybe wanting to sit down with Jesus to ask serious questions of him to get the answers that you want to hear about where you find yourself. Or perhaps maybe you're sitting there this morning saying, I want an interaction with Jesus simply because I want to give him a piece of my mind about where he's allowed me to get to. Or maybe you're sitting there this morning saying, Nathan, it's great that you're standing up there with such confidence, delivering a message on doubt, but you have no idea the situation or the circumstance that I'm going through. And the reality is that for most of you, I don't. But Jesus does. And and as I sat and prepared for this message, and what it must have been like for for that challenge that that Jesus gave to Nicodemus in in his faith and his, his own understanding, I found myself reflecting on a story and for those that, that you who know me quite well will know that this, particularly this last three months has been quite tough. And I showed you a picture at the, at the start of my sermon on what was one of the happiest days of my life, or the happiest day of my life, I should say. The picture that's now going to be on the screen was one of the saddest days of my life. Now, many of you will know that my brother's partner of 14 years passed away a few months ago. And she left behind four small kids. That was in the middle of a pandemic. It was about the seventh lockdown. And I was given permission to go down along with the rest of my family. We got a border pass, except I got sick and I couldn't go. And I was the only person in my family that couldn't be there. And I found myself in the midst of this while studying a theology degree, arguing with God about why he would have let this happen. How can he take the mother of four small kids away when they've done absolutely nothing wrong? They're innocent. In the midst of the lockdown and and the government rules, how were we going to be able to get them up here to give them the support that they needed? How were we going to find Chris a job? How are we going to find them a new house in the midst of the market? How are we going to get them into school? How are they going to find new friends? And how was I going to help them grieve? 
But you know what? My eight-year-old nephew who's sitting here this morning, I promised him I'd give him a plug, <laughs> said this to me in the midst of all of this. He said, Uncle Nathan, when we move, can you promise me that I, you'll make sure I get to go to a Christian school and you'll buy me a Bible because I want to learn more about God? What he said in that moment rocked me to my absolute core. Because I had the audacity to question where, where Jesus was in the midst of all of that. And you see, just despite the pain and, and the stress, that, that is still some of which is still very real, my family has never been closer. And there has been so much uh, restoration and healing in our family unit. And on Father's Day this year, and they're sitting here again today, my family sat here in our church with three, genera- three of the youngest generations for the first time ever. Now, I'm aware that some of you may have had a similar experience, so I do want to tread very carefully in this and, and recognize that for you. And no doubt, some of you may have been asking these same questions that I just raised. See... Tim Keller, I was reading a book ironically at the same time, and Tim Keller says this, that a faith without some doubts is like a human body with no antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask the hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A a person's faith can collapse almost overnight if they fail over the years to listen patiently to their own doubts, which should only be discarded after long reflection. And maybe you're still thinking there this morning, as I was, that somehow your doubt is a slight on your faith, that somehow your faith isn't good enough if you are doubting. J.C. Ryle, again, there's another quote that says, Doubting does not prove that a man has no faith, but only that his faith is small. And even when our faith is small, the Lord is ready to help us. Jesus actually says this as well in Matthew 17, 20. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to the mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. See, in my moment of doubt, God said to me that faith doesn't make things easy it makes them possible. See, it's not the size of our faith, whether it's big or small, that counts in that moment. It's the size of our God that counts and where we put Jesus in the picture. See, the story of of Nicodemus doesn't end here at the end of chapter 3, verse 21. There is more to this story. And as as I looked further into Nicodemus, Nicodemus was actually a man that went to challenge his fellow Pharisees about not actually listening to what Jesus had to say. And even more than that, Jesus was one of the men that went with Joseph of Arimathea to recover the body of Jesus and to bury him. You see, in the midst of Nicodemus' doubts, he became a changed man because he figured out that Jesus really was who he said he was. You see, when Nicodemus goes with Joseph of Arimathea to bury the body of Jesus, 
you need to understand that not even his 12 closest disciples were there in that moment. They'd completely fled. And Nicodemus risked his own life in that final moment to rescue the man that had died for him. See, the reality is that we're all going to have doubts at some stage in our walks. And you know what? That's actually completely normal. Because it's happened and it will happen. And whether we want to admit it or not. But what it is, is it's what we choose to do with our doubts in those moments of uncertainties that determines the outcome. See, in those moments, you need to be asking yourself, is Jesus in the picture at all? Or is Jesus in the picture, but he's somehow just up the back and he's photobombing the picture? Or is he standing right there in the middle of your picture, holding your hand, putting his arm around you, carrying you when he needs to? See, I, I know the doubts and uncertainties of the world that we live in right now because it's ever-changing. What we know today is not necessarily going to be the same as what happens tomorrow. The rules that we have and the decisions that have been made are not going to be the same rules or decisions that happen tomorrow. I'm just going to ask the team to, to come up. See, what Jesus is reminding us of today, in the midst of our doubts, in the midst of our stories and the uncertainties of the world, or where we find ourselves, he wants to draw us to him. He wants to draw us in. And Jesus is drawing near to us even in the midst of all the craziness, the midst of our doubts, the midst of our uncertainties that are going on. Jesus is calling you to him this morning. He's standing there with his arms open wide, calling you to him so that he can hold you tight. So that whatever it is that is weighing you down, he'll pluck those off your shoulders. And you'll feel a peace that you've never felt before. This morning, if, the, if that's a situation that you find yourself in, if, if that's where you're thinking you are as you sit and reflect, I want to ask you to do something incredibly courageous this morning. I want you to stand in your seat and acknowledging that you need Jesus in your picture. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ, we would love to encourage you on your journey. Help us help you by going to gatewaybaptist.com.au and clicking on Get Connected.